Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of blue. Learn more at benefitofbluesc.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our next guest uh, is, a, is actually a first. I'm, I'm pretty excited to uh, announce this is the first guy that's still on active duty uh, that's coming on the show. Keep in mind that because of that, there's uh, certain details that he's not going to be able to talk about uh, to the same level of depth that uh, some of our other guests have gone into. Everything I say is just my own opinion and not necessarily a representation of the uh, any official DOD or Air Force uh, messaging. How many times did they make you rehearse that before you came on here? I rehearsed it all the way up here on the drive. What's your biggest fuck-up in the military? Probably coming on this podcast. Is that right? Can you say where you went? Um, We went a a, a number of places. (laughs) I can very comfortably say that this is the the coolest and most unique coin anybody's ever given me, and one that uh, for a thousand fucking percent sure I will uh, cherish and and hold dear uh, my whole fucking life. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast, as well as introduce you to the challenge winner, uh, Chandler from Kansas who uh, is the individual that uh, won the contest or promotion for our our holiday giveaway, uh, which is getting to sit in on a podcast, uh, which obviously this is the one he's sitting on, and then we're going to go fuck up some barbecue afterwards. So uh, congratulations to Chandler. You may hear him pipe in uh, for a question or two during the episode, but uh, he's got the uh, the box seats uh, at this one. Our next guest uh, is, a, is actually a first. I'm, I'm pretty excited to uh, announce this is the first guy that's still on active duty uh, that's coming on the show. So it's kind of a, a first and a treat for us. Keep in mind that because of that, there's uh, certain details that he's not going to be able to talk about uh, to the same level of depth that uh, some of our other guests have gone into, uh, as well as we're not going to mention his last name. So uh, just keep that in mind. He has spent 17 years as a special, special operations weatherman. And now he's a special reconnaissance training cadre. Now, before you start trying to bust his balls, realize that uh, the the weather component and what he does now, special reconnaissance-wise, is a huge part of special operations, generally speaking. He's been awarded an ARCOM with V4 Valor. He is the co-host of the One's Ready podcast. 
His head is always up in the clouds, and this motherfucker can make it rain without a green screen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Trent from One's Ready. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, uh, before we get started, everything I say is just my own opinion and not necessarily a representation of the uh, any official DOD or Air Force uh, messaging. How many times did they make you rehearse that before you came on here? I rehearsed it all the way up is here on the right? drive. Yeah. So seven fucking hours of that? Yep. I'd like to take a quick second uh, to shout out and thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Origin Labs and Jocko Fuel. Jocko Fuel is a great product. Uh, he's got a ton of products, actually, within the Jocko Fuel line. Uh, the guests and I enjoy them on the show. And outside, I take a lot of the supplements. Uh, I've got some of the Origin Lab jeans, uh, boots, geese, and uh, it's just all-around American industry. Uh, they do a fantastic job really re-revolutionizing American industry from start to finish. It's all American made, uh, all American sourced. Everything start to finish is made right there in-house, and they really do a phenomenal job creating the products and fulfilling the whole ball of wax. They've been a huge supporter of the Mic Drop podcast for a while now, and I really can't thank Jocko Fuel and Origin Labs enough for the job that they do for us, and so thank you to you guys. I'd like to take a second to uh, shout out our newest sponsor, which is Project Warpath. This is a Navy SEAL-owned company uh, that provides apparel with a pretty edgy uh, feel, and uh, it's a good friend of mine that, uh, that runs it out of California, uh, and just an, overall a great outfit. Um, they've got a, a whole line of different shirts, uh, one of which uh, is, is arguably, arguably my favorite, which is Epstein Didn't Kill Himself. wonder where that one came from. And, uh, but yeah, there's Hillary Clinton Killed My Friends. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, pretty edgy and cool patriotic sayings on T-shirts with uh, with good design, good high quality, uh, and it's one that uh, that I'm actually wearing right now. So uh, I appreciate uh, them sponsoring the show again. That's Project Warpath. Uh, you can get all their stuff online, and uh, and you know the shipping and customer service is top notch, quality product, and uh, you're supporting a veteran-owned business. So shout out to Project Warpath. Go check their uh, stuff out. I'd also like to say thank you to our other sponsor, Resilience Premium CBD. Resilience is excited to offer all Mic Drop listeners a 20% off discount on all products for two weeks from when this podcast is live using the discount code MICDROP at checkout. That's two words, MICDROP at checkout. I'd also like to say that Resilience is a great company uh, that works in conjunction with Trico CBD. And all military veterans and first responders receive 35% off. Yes, that's 35% off for all military veterans and first responders. And that's uh, through the military and first responders program. You just have to sign up at resilientcbd.com slash military first responders discount. Uh, in terms of about resilience, generally speaking, it's a premium CBD that I use. Again, it works in conjunction with the Tricos brand for the everyday athlete. Uh, that's www.resiliencecbd.com. And Resilience was uh, really born with the founders who uh, are military veterans as well, personally experienced the effects uh, and impact that CBD had on their own mental and physical obstacles. Their focus was sharper, mental stress was calmed, fitness stamina increased, and their bodies felt less pain, inflammation after super intense workouts. Uh, a lot of times, most people and, and people are able to either wean and off entirely or significantly reduce pain management, ther uh, pain management therapy. This is a shared vision among the founders that this uh, incredible supplement had not only changed their lives, but had the power to provide unbelievable benefits to family, friends, athletes, fellow veterans, and ultimately the entire fitness community. 
So big shout out to Resilience for their product as well as the Trico stuff. Uh, we sure appreciate their support. What uh, What's your favorite type of cloud? I mean, I'm going to nerd out. It's the Nimbo Stratus because it can change etages. So it can change from one level to the other. Etages, that's what levels? Is that a fancy word for level? Right. So clouds at different levels do different things. And we're getting right into weather at yeah. in the beginning. Of, so this is awesome. Fucking A. What uh, you got to fucking go a little more in depth on that then school school us dipshits as it relates to weather on uh, on the type of cloud you're talking about. Well, so the nimble stratus can and can start out in the like the middle etage and it can lower itself, which is the only cloud that can change. Like at sea level, I, I believe the the lowest etage is like surface to sixty five hundred feet or something. Is there a reason uh, other than self importance that uh, weather folks call them etages and not levels? I have no idea. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds so like just making shit up to sound uh, sound fancier. The weather doctors decided that we should <laughs> just like uh, regular doctors. You have to have fancy words so people are impressed. That's fucking great. Well, uh, what's your biggest fuck up in the military? Probably coming on this podcast. Is that right? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, well, now now that sounds like a challenge. It, it's hard to say. There's been so many. Uh, you know, we hit it all the time on, on our podcast. Like failure is, is part of life. And if uh, I'm not big on regret, I don't look back at a lot of things if I've learned from it and, and feel bad about it because, uh, you know, life is messing. You're going to mess up. So um, I'm trying to think. I lost a radio on a training jump one time and my team had to uh, line up and, and walk around it to try to find my radio. It Did came right in my it? pouch. Yep. Yeah, where, where where was it in relation to where you thought it was? It was in the middle of the drop zone. Oh, so, sure. yeah. So it, it fell out like on the jump? I think it fell out afterwards when I was packing up the chute. You know, it's dark. Yeah. And you are you have all that silk and you're trying to shove it into your bag and you're trying to get back to your rally point as quick as possible. Um, so it came out. And so I got back to the where we we're going and I was, I was checking all my gear and my radio was gone. God damn. How much shit? Uh, well, A, how long did it take for them to find it? It probably took us an hour and a half. And how much shit did you catch? Fair bit. A fair bit. Did you get your ass beat? But it's one of those things where if I remember the team leader coming up to me, and this was a a, a pretty big moment in my career because uh, I felt like a piece of crap. You know, and the, the cadre were like, you owe us a case of beer. So I did. I ended up getting him a case of beer. But he was like, everybody has that, that day. Everybody, that day will come for everyone. And as long as it's not a habit, then it's fine. So that kind of helped form that, you know, yeah. lack of regret in my mind. Yeah. Like, just moving forward. Um, did you get your ass beat for it or no? Not that I'm going to talk about here. I've never, no. <laughs> Don't give me the no hazing bullshit. Uh. Uh, well, so in in that same vein, I lost a, uh, I was the intelligence rep uh, in in two platoons at, at Team 3. And uh, <clears throat> right before deployment, I misplaced, uh, in air quotes, a night vision lens for a camera. Now, mind you, this was back in, what was it, 2000? Um so you know the the technology back then was uh, was quite elementary compared to what it is now, but they they were even bigger and more expensive and harder to excuse me harder to come by. But my uh, OIC at the time recalled me from uh, from leave. What it, what it ended up happening was our sister platoon, the Intel rep, fucking stole it out, out of our mill van. They they deployed two weeks before we did because they were a, a land based, whereas we were going on a ship. So they flew over two weeks ahead of time, and, and he – I don't know if he lost his or misplaced it or, or – for sure, I mean, he meant to take it. Like, you, you can't fuck that up. It's not like we had our shit stored together, but uh, – or at least not not close enough for it to matter. But uh, So same thing, dude. I felt like the biggest fucking shit bag in the world. Yeah. And uh, it was basically like, well, you know, you, either you find it or you're not going on fucking deployment kind of thing, you know. And uh, 
So, you know, I scoured the fucking, um, all of our shit was loaded on ships and I scoured the mill vans and, you know, I, I, I'm in off leave. I'm in there by myself, sweating fucking bullets, like digging through all of our shit on this boat in, in the San Diego Bay at 32nd street Naval base, trying to find this fucking thing. And finally I, I call, uh, this dickhead that was uh, already over in Bahrain. I was like, dude, I, I'm missing my phone. He was like, Oh yeah, I have it. And I was like, you motherfucker. But, uh, anyway, so did, I, did he get beat? Uh, no, actually he didn't. Um, he, he did one. Uh, one platoon and got out and was was kind of one of those guys that uh, you know didn't didn't really fit that well I think with uh, with the community and so didn't stick around very long but uh, at any rate yeah it was a fucking it was a mess but I, uh, I feel your pain there <clears throat> my OIC made me fucking pay for that for pretty much the entire deployment. Jeez. Um, what what is your favorite pistol and rifle uh, as well as the round? Now I'm going to caveat that with you only get to pick one and it's as all purpose as possible apocalypse scenario like you know you, you have one pistol and one rifle for as many applications as possible and what round for each it's going to be the 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 glock 19 just because i'm super familiar with it and there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of nine millimeter uh in in people's hands right now mm -hmm. uh, so if we're talking apocalypse scenario i'm, I'm gonna go with a round that can re be replenished as things go crazy um and then i, I know i'm gonna catch flack for this but i'm, I'm gonna pick a an ak variant with a 7.62 by 39, um, just for uh, closer quarters. I know it's a slower round, but uh, it's reliable. It's nasty. Yeah, and and you know you can throw those things down in the mud, and, and those will cycle through all the dirty rounds and everything yeah. that you put it through. So no, I'm I'm not mad at that. I uh, I have a fucking an SBR AK that's a bad motherfucker. It's a it's a M97 Yugo uh, crank from Rifle Dynamics. Shout out to those guys. It's a fucking great great gun. Um, and, and I agree, like I th it's a pretty fucking versatile round. Um, I, I dig it for sure. Any, uh, any type of <clears throat> actual rounds that you use um, in, in terms of brand or, or grain-wise, ballistically, that, that you prefer, or are you still of the, it's green tip and ball because I'm in the fucking military and we don't fuck with any of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty simple person, so I don't, I don't get into the high-speed rounds or anything yeah. like that yet. Um, Wait till you get out. Yeah, I'll get hobbies after I get out. Yeah. What uh, best operational boots? Solomon's. Any particular model or just fucking straight up? No, nah, I mean. The uh, catch me, fuck me soccer ones? No. No, no just the, the uh, kind of like what Chandler's wearing over there, I believe. Look at that shit. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I noticed things. Fucking, do you know what shoes I'm wearing? I didn't catch yeah, that, so actually. Check that shit yeah. out. I'm not going to tell you. Sorry. It's going to be a secret. Chandler uh, was asking me to look him up and down, yeah. so I kind of had to notice. <laughs> check me out. Uh, what is your morning routine? Well, we have two small kids, so my wife and I kind of schedule our workouts in the morning around each other so that one of us is always home. And then it's, you know, get the kids ready for school, get through that chaos. And right now during COVID, then it's come home and, and, and get behind the computer. Yeah. So, ba bathe in hand sanitizer and then get behind the computer. Yeah. Hit that cardio a few times a week and, and make sure I'm, you know, posterior yeah. chain and balanced and everything like that. I definitely want to talk about uh, COVID and the military and, and the impacts that has and get some of your opinions on that. We'll, we'll get into that in a bit. But uh, in terms of the morning routine, you mentioned your wife and working out. Is she in the military also? or She is. She She's is. also active duty. Yeah. What, uh, give me the fucking down and dirty reader's digest on how that fucking panned out. Well, um, we met when I came down to Florida for some training, the same training I lost the radio on. And I was down there, you know, I was pretty focused. I'm like, all I'm going to do is train and work out. She was turned eat. on by this guy loses shit. I like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> we met like the first day I was down there. So um, it's just one of those things we met and then we started hanging out and 
Yeah. And that was that. Uh, how, how long did you, were you there, but when you lost the, the radio? That was one of our very first things. We had our jump week. So you met her before that happened? Right. Did you tell her when it happened? I don't think so. Yeah, you, you hid that I shit. Don't, didn't I don't you you didn't tell her that shit. Does she even know now? I might have told her because I had to go uh, into work early one day to, to pick up a case of beer for the cadre. She doesn't even know now. She probably doesn't know. Um, can you say what she does? Uh, she's she's an officer, so she she's Are a Mustang. You're fraternizing. Well, she we were enlisted first, and then she went to the dark side. Um, so it's shit. it's interesting. So how does that does that affect the dynamic at home at all? No, like you're not you're not popping fucking salute. Like if you're at work, like how does that fucking no, pan it, out? I mean, it's jokes. I did I did throw her the first salute when she first commissioned, and I told her this is the only time <laughs> I'm ever gonna salute you. She didn't even salute you back, did she? She Joe Biden your ass. Yeah, she's yeah. just like get out of here, scum. You're sweaty. <laughs> Uh, that's fucking great. Um, in terms of the the workouts and and uh, I'm curious, I guess how how big of an impact with all of this COVID shit is the working out now? Is it like you guys are doing your own thing? You're not doing group group stuff uh, because of that, or what? How the fuck does that work? Yeah, well, I'm I'm on staff now, so I'm a uh, I'm I'm working from home like 99 percent of the time. Are most uh, in, in that position, if they're not like mission critical, right? They're all doing from home. That's fucking wild, man. So all the cadre that are with the students, they've been pushing through the entire time, uh, dealing with all that stuff. But uh, you know, one day I think what was it March? They were like, yeah. "You're not coming to work anymore." And my wife was actually deployed at the time, so it was weird. So I was at home with the two kids. God, Mr. Mom, were you uh, ironing like, grilled cheeses and fucking? Oh yeah, yeah. The kids are are super <laughs> sick of corn dogs still. Stapling the fucking whoopie together. Yeah. Uh, that's fuck. That's hard to even fucking imagine, honestly. Like how how the military is bended to to these policies. It's fucking nuts. Do you know anybody uh, at work that's gotten it and gotten like legitimately sick? Um. Yeah. There's there's been a few people. Uh, mostly the 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 older people are a little more susceptible. But it just depends on the person, you know. Like some people are like, I got tired, I think, or I had a headache. Yeah. It's such a weird thing. Uh, and and some people are you know down for the count for a few weeks and it jacks up their lungs or whatever. But yeah. It's uh, it's hard to nail down what's going to happen. Yeah, where uh, where are you originally from? Utah, Salt Lake Valley. Are you a Mormon? I was. You were a Mormon. I, God, I, there's I, so I grew much up to that way. Dig into this. Tell me about being a Mormon in Utah. It was. And and is there anybody that doesn't ask you that once they hear you're from Utah? No, yeah. I, I used to have it down, and I've forgotten uh, over the years. But I used to say. Um, I'm from Utah and that'd be like, yes, yes, no, yes. You know, to like the, the questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a pretty normal childhood. Um, I, I, I have a, a lot of siblings. It's a competitive culture, which I think played and played well into my military career. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's, it's just like any other religion. There's rules, uh, there's misconceptions, there's everything like that. But you know, I, I grew up in the Salt Lake Valley in like the late eighties and the nineties. So it was a pretty good place to grow up. Yeah. What, uh, what I guess in terms of how hardline your family was, because I know like like every religion, like there's some. I, I would say I mean, I've known a few Mormons and, and have actually been fairly close friends with uh, with a few of them over the years, and, uh, and I, I was actually really impressed with uh, just kind of how diligent they are on on all aspects of their life. Like they they were just really good people, you know right. they. Uh, they took really good care of their families and, and each other and their communities. And, you know, they weren't selfish. They were super polite, uh, prepared, would help you out. You know, they didn't fuck around. They didn't give you any shit. They weren't assholes. I mean, like, like by and large, it was enormously positive. Uh, but there, there's a curiosity there, I think, with, with most people in terms of some of the stigmas associated with it. 
that uh, you know that probably lend themselves to some of the, the almost mythical fucking misconceptions about it. But wh- where did you and your family fall in line in terms of the spectrum of how hardline Mormon you were? Well, I think if we were Catholics, my mother would be a saint. <laughs> that, um, that good, huh? Yeah, uh, she's she's just that person, yeah. you know. Uh, my dad, uh, he he'd been in the Air Force for a few years, and he was kind of a wild child when he was younger. Mm. Um, so, but growing up, he was he was always pretty solid in it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it, it just was what it was, and 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 for me, it was like they say, do what you're good at. Yeah. So that's uh, that wasn't something else so i went really into fucking at. porn and uh <laughs> here i am in the air force uh, not that far but yeah well, how many siblings do you have i have five brothers five brothers no no sisters no huh? sisters God damn judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, where do you fall in the in the pecking order age wise? I'm number three. Number three. So I have you know middle child syndrome, and I'm also the runt. So I also have like that Napoleonic thing. Oh yeah, you're still by far. No shit. What uh, what was that like growing up? Um, just generally speaking, I guess in terms of school and like, did you go to public school or was it? Yep. Well, uh, I went to public school until high school. Uh, then I basically uh, burned burned everything. Uh, academically in junior high and was as doing stuff. <laughs> That's that not very Mormon of you. Maybe I shouldn't have been doing. So my parents pulled me out and put me in this like a uh, private high school that was like a mix between homeschooling and, and, and school. So was it Mormon affiliated or no, it was, it was like a, a, a Christian thing. Yeah. Um, but you only went three days a week for four hours a day. So basically you went in there and got your stuff graded and they gave you homework. Yeah. Um, so about like now then, right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, fucking writing on the wall. I'm I'm curious the the big main fucking tabernacle there in uh, in Salt Lake, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's the deal with not being able to go in there? Like, isn't there some crazy fucking rules with that? The, the temples you cannot go in without a temple recommend. Um, so what does, that, what does that mean exactly? It means that you have to be following enough of the rules uh, to to go in there. Is it like eighty percent or what? I don't know. You don't know? It's not, You've been in there, right? Yeah. Before they 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 dedicate them, uh, they they give people tours yeah so you can go in when they build like a new one and they'll show you all the stuff and they're they're incredibly beautiful and incredibly well made but 
Yeah, and after that, after it's dedicated, you have to go see your your like uh, your bishop or it's like your priest, and they interview you and you tell them everything, and then they're like, okay, yes or no. How do they know that you're not bullshitting them? They don't. So they're just taking your word. There's there's stuff that I guess is going to be handled on the other side. Are they using Mormon construction crews to make those? I have no idea. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Why am I asking all these questions, Chandler? You got any Mormon questions? No. Nothing. All right. We well, if you think of one. Little input from uh, from the contest winner. Um, did you play any sports growing up? Soccer. Did your all your brothers play it or? No, my my oldest brother he uh, he was pretty good at it. Uh, so I you know I modeled myself after him a fair bit. You know you have your heroes growing up, and so my oldest brother's about five years older than me. So he played soccer. I played soccer, and it was you know fairly competitive until I yeah. blew my knee out. Yeah. Um, is the relationship with your brothers now different from when you were growing up? Like how, how was it then? And how is it now by contrast? I mean, we were, we were brothers. So, um, beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. But in retrospect, it was a good thing. I've actually reached back to my oldest brother and been like, Hey, I want to thank you for, for giving me the tools to be successful in this community. Yeah. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm like, well, pain management. I learned that from you. That would imply that you've been hazed. No, it's just yeah. a it's just a hard job, right? Is it's right? not. Is that all it there's, is? There's you no really can't talk about any of that shit. No, I mean, what, what if you want to? Like when I got to my Hell first yeah, uh, to. my first Saudi duty station, you know, you go through the processes, and, and I had a, a a helmet I had to carry around with me, a helmet that has no name, and uh, you, you go through all the things, and uh, there was an obstacle course, and there was uh, eggs, and uh, I think squid legs involved, and uh, questions. And then based on how many obstacles or how many times you jacked up, they, you know, on the board, you get so many push-ups. Um, so for like a few months, I was uh, not really a few months, a few weeks, uh, while everybody else went out to lunch, I would guard my helmet and knock out thousands of push-ups before my, my cherry blast. So that so that's the current day Air Force. No, that was 2006. So, so even, But even in 2006, that's what the Air Force is considering hazing? I mean, I'm not... Yeah, it, it wasn't hazing. This, I mean, this is coming it was from team a guy. building. We, I mean, we had fucking Tabasco poured on our nuts and ass, and we were electrocuted with a mini blast machine. We got beat with fucking paddles and taped up and drugged down the hallway with happy hats. I mean, we got the fuck beat out of us, you know, all the time. Like, it was brutal. But, that, that's a birthday party. I mean, that was, you know, anytime you fucked up, if it was your birthday, we had a guy that didn't tell, uh, didn't tell us as a platoon that he got married. Just like you know, cardinal fucking sin. So they shaved his body. He was a hairy motherfucker, the same way I am. They shaved his body and then took you know uh, shooting targets. Used spray glue to put fucking targets on plastic targets. Mm-hmm. So we, they took spray glue and sprayed it all over his face and, and gave him a beard with his body hair and spray glue. And then, uh, you know, Tabasco down his fucking ass crack and uh, you know threw him in a fucking cruise box full of water with a with a regulator and, and about fucking drowned him. I mean, just, it was fucking brutal, you know, force feeding him alcohol for six hours straight, like two bottles of fucking the cheapest tequila you can buy. I mean, just completely fucked him up, which, you know, he deserved it under those circumstances in my book. But, uh, it, it's amazing to me, the transition militarily, uh, even in, in the community that I came from in terms of uh, the lack of stuff like that nowadays and how, how off limits all that shit is. It's, it's wild. But, uh, is there, uh, going back to your family just for a minute, um, I can only assume that, that your father had some influence on you joining the Air Force? or Right. Well, growing up, he told all of us that he did not want us to join the military. <laughs> so, so 
So know, like a good son, you're like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, he, he did not enjoy being enlisted for some reason. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of similar character traits that he has. Yeah. But it's just a weird thing. I joined and he was like, he told me later, he's like, I didn't think you were going to thrive in that environment. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I found what I found and it found me. And uh, that was that. And he's still, I think, amazed to this day that I'm still in. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking great. Uh, any of your siblings serve? Right. Yep. My brother just older than me and my brother just younger than me. Both so, Air Force too, or? Right. Yeah. Uh, what they do they do? One tour and got out. One was a uh, security forces like a cop and the other one was a linguist. Oh, okay. Fucking uh, covering all the bases Air Force wise in the family. What did your dad do? He was uh, like supply, I think, or yeah. something like that. Hmm. Well, rock and roll. Um, all right. So some motivation to serve from your dad. What uh, what was the process like from going from high school into ultimately enlisting and, and kind of your decision to do so? Well, I graduated in 99. I took off a year early uh, with the private school. You could kind of decide to graduate whenever you wanted. Um, but if you said you were going to graduate that year, there was a lot of stipulations that went along with that. So you had to like do all your assignments and all that other stuff. Anyway, I got out of high school a year early and then I, I paid some colleges to go to their parties for a while <laughs> and I worked. What college? Uh, it was like a community college. Oh. And then, um, uh, yeah, 2003, we invaded Iraq, and I was kind of done with everything. I was selling cars. and uh, What kind of cars? The Chevys, um, Oldsmobiles, Hummers. When the, the H2 first came out, those were pretty easy to sell. And so Cadillacs. All domestic stuff. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it, I kind of hit the end of the rope. I was like, "This is I'm going nowhere. And so I went and saw the recruiter. I, uh, I, I took all the tests. I took the D-Lab. You know, he didn't want to talk to me in the beginning. It was 2003, so the Air Force was not having a hard time getting people in. Yeah. And so I walked in, he was disinterested until I took the ASVAB and the D-Lab, the language test. And then all of a sudden he was very, very interested. And so I actually joined as a linguist and then I got to basic and uh, they were like, yeah, we looked at your record for real and you can't get a TS out the gate. Really? Uh, yeah. Why? Don't worry. I had some stuff. What kind of stuff? Uh, you know, I was I jacked up all my finances and some other things and I was running with the, the wrong crowd for a while. Like cartel guys? <laughs> are you a cartel guy no 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 allegedly what uh so they were basically like you're you're too fucked up financially to be a linguist uh so you should go be this instead did they direct you towards uh the weather stuff or did that yeah it wasn't that bad they gave me five options like they'd give me a secret um but just you know like you're an unknown so if you have anything they're not going to give you a ts right out the gate um so they gave me five options i picked weather because uh, I, I figured it would change. What were the other four? Um, I had, uh, what was it, stealth remember? avionics. Uh, one of them was like a dental assistant or dental admin person, which I was like, I should have gone that and worked in an office yeah. and got my doctorate by now. But yeah. uh, I, I chose weather, and uh, that kind of led me down the path. It seems like a like an obscure mix for them to offer. Was it just based off of those were the needs of the Air Force? Like, here's the top five fucking uh jobs that that were the lowest in numbers on or what right well i had a pretty good asvab score you know nothing crazy it's not like the asvab is a difficult test yeah. so anything that that required you know over 60 on the asvab I, got um, you. I was qualified for and so at that time was was the what was the the weather um community called what was it special oper operations weather at, at that time or it sounds like it was kind of a you were in the formative years of the program existing right right so in the when i joined special operations weather was more like a special duty assignment for weather guys okay um so weather school was about seven months long 
Uh, so, I, you know, I make it through basic and all this other stuff. I thought I was joining the military. I thought about joining the Marines, but I didn't. Uh, so Air Force basic training was a little bit of a letdown uh, physically. And then I was in, in tech school and, you know, it wasn't hard. And uh, then one day they, they told us to go downstairs for a briefing. And there's some dudes with gray berets talking about getting shot at and jumping out of planes. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So tell me what I got to do and I'm going to do it. And that was that. Oh, shit. Yep. And so was that the start of that program or, or was it already existing and they were just bringing you into the fold? So the, the special operations weather side of the house, you know, we, we trace our roots back to like WW2, like everybody else. We had airborne weather guys and guys going on on uh, uh, the, what are they called? The gliders. Yeah. And, um, but, and then Vietnam, we had some pretty cool stuff that happened, but it was one of those things that was not formalized and was kind of back and forth. So we, by the time I joined, we were linked up with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we were linked up with all the uh, special forces groups and also with the 160th. Uh, so you had to become a weather guy first. And then uh, once you were like a qualified weather guy uh, after your first duty station, you just volunteered to go over and go through airborne and Sierra and all that. So is it uh, kind of a scenario where basically they, you have the qualification that they need and now they're bringing you in and, and kind of putting you through all the, all the stuff that they want you to be, be through similarly to the way they put text through at uh, tier one. Right. Tier one outfits, right? Right. Um, so you, you've gone through um, all of the same stuff or what, uh, what What are the portions, I guess, that they don't send you through that? Well, my experience was, was a little unique. Um, I got to brag and a few weeks after I got there, I went to a shooting school for a week and then we turned around and went to, to Fort Campbell for six weeks of training and then I deployed. So I was I was pretty undertrained to to be going out there. <laughs> Welcome to the Air Force. I, I was supposed to go to that school at, at uh, in Florida where I met my wife before I deployed, and that's what I was told was going to happen before I deployed ever. Uh, where we we went through that with the combat controllers at the end of their pipeline, but uh, one of our guys got shot, and so they're like, "We need a body. You're technically trained enough to deploy." So, adios. Uh, can you say where you went? Yeah, I went to Afghanistan. And so uh, I'm curious, um, out of my own ignorance, so how, how do you incorporate into those units? And is it with CCTs and PJs or what? Uh, where where are you embedded in at that point? It's usually um, whether it's a attack P. So we have two different AFSCs or, or career fields in the Air Force that do the, the JTAC role. And J- it's, and uh, can you explain JTAC for the listener just so that uh, a lot of the acronyms and shit, you know, most people are like, right. what the fuck does that mean? It's the, the Joint Terminal Attack Controller. So they're the ones that talk to the airplanes and drop the bombs on the bad guys and save all our lives. And it's uh, it's an amazing capability. So it's usually those guys with the team. So we just jump on a team with them. Um, so when I was heading out to the FOB, I was on the bird with a combat controller that was replacing uh, Adam Service, who had been killed out there. And I was replacing a weather guy that had been shot out there. Uh, you know, and I had seven total weeks of training besides airborne and seer. Yeah. And I was a weather guy. So it was a uh, pretty interesting. Do you know the circumstances with which the, the weather guy that was shot was shot? Yep. They, uh, the, there was a firefight broke out. They, uh, I think one of the checkpoints was attacked. So everybody jumped in the Humvees and they went out there and they got into a big, uh, big fight. I think, I think they were on their way back and they hit a, a second ambush. And actually his calf was in front of someone's head when he jumped on the back of a Humvee. And uh, the round hit his calf and, and deflected and didn't hit the student in the head. No shit. Um, so they had a pretty positive. Uh, so you got a life saving medal too. Right. Well, it, it was a weird time. He yeah. he actually got in a little bit of trouble because the having weather guys outside the wire was um, controversial. Um, so he, 
I don't think he was technically supposed to be outside the wire at the time, or he didn't tell his bosses or enough of his bosses that he was going. But the team is like, you know, you're at yeah. the FOB, and the team's like, let's go. And you're a squared away guy. You, you just go. Um, but it all worked out in the end for him. Yeah. God damn. So you jump in, fucking, what, what, what's going through your mind? Like, you're like, holy fuck, what am I doing here? I was scared out of my mind. So I went to um, Kandahar for a little bit and did backside, backside support. And uh, I remember telling one of the Green Berets I was hanging out with, I was like, where, they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to Cobra, you know? And I'm, I, I don't know anything about anything. Yeah. I, I'm still trying to pick up the, the acronyms, the lingo of the soft community. And I remember he just looked at me and he was like, bro, keep your head down. I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, like this is this is gonna be fun. Uh, so what uh, what did you do? Like once you got there, how how does that that work in essence? Like walk us through a typical day, a, 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 an operation um, cycle uh, of of where you fall into the mix and, and how you get involved. Yeah, so most of my job. So as a weather guy, you have like a strategic or operational level job, and then you have your tactical job. So obviously the, on the tactical side, I'm trying to take care of the, the teammates that I'm with and help them out with the missions that they're, they're planning. And then for the operational strategic side, I'm trying to send back weather observations and, and stuff like that to the, the people back in the rear, like Kandahar and, and, uh, and Bagram, so they can plan out and get their weather forecast and all that stuff done and that the, the bosses can plan. So you know, I'm taking a lot of weather observations. We had uh, some Saudi guys out there and that kind of stuff. So their equipment was sensitive. We had PSYOPs guys, and they wanted to put out um, forecasts for the locals and all that kind of stuff, like the uh, Farmer's Almanac kind of thing for them. Um, and then the rest of it's just being a team guy, unloading the helicopters. I got really good at cleaning 240s. You know, you have to find something that you're good at. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, living that life and doing whatever needs to be done. How, how many uh, instances did you go outside the wire and, and do things with with unit and team members? We went a, a few times. What uh, any of them uh, of of note? Yeah, um, you know, we we went out early one morning one time and, and we we drove ourselves into an ambush, um, and uh, that, that ended up being an all day affair. So uh, it, it was. This is where like the the calm with the V came from. We we drove into the first ambush point and. It's, it's funny because I was on the back of the Sade truck, and I'm not going to talk a lot about what Sades do, um, but it has antennas sticking up all over it, so it's an obvious target. And most of the gun trucks that we had at the time had 240s mounted on the back on swing arms. This one did not. So it was um, senior arm and signaler. What? Fucking sitting duck. Yeah, so I'm sitting in the, the open back with my uh, M4. And um, so we pull up to the ambush point, and the, the guy on top swings around the Mark 19, uh, the, the grenade launcher, that thing launches two rounds before it seizes up. So the first time I'd ever really been shot at and the first time I ever shot back, um, the guy that was supposed to be covering down for the vehicle, his his mane goes down. He tells me to cover him. Uh, so I pop up over the top of the Humvee with my uh, my M4 and, and and try to go to work. So, But it, it was good like that. That one-week shooting school I went to, uh, if you don't mind my shouting out. Yeah. Um, Shout him out. Rifles only here in Texas. Uh, I could hear my instructor's voice in my head. And he was really good. So Andrew's voice was like, you know, breathe, side line, side picture, everything, squeeze, and then keep your, your head on a swivel and maintain your situa- situational awareness. What was your kit at the time, uh, loadout wise? Oh, it was garbage. F- f- what, what, uh, and this was 06, 07? 06. And what, yeah, so what were you carrying? I had my, my plates and then uh, the, the Rhodesian over the top of it. Uh, so I was carrying uh, 6 plus 1 M4 mags. And then uh, the two plus one M9 mags with the, we're still rolling, rolling with the Berettas. Jesus, fucking Berettas. Yep. Um, 
did you dump your whole fucking load out in, in that uh, gun battle or no i went through a few mags um and then um it, it, it's kind of an all-day affair so we, we get up to the second point and they're maneuvering on us and uh you know they're calling in gun runs and this is the first time that i found out that people actually cheer when a10s come in and schwack all the bad guys yeah. i thought it was just a movie thing but it's not it's super <laughs> exciting when it happens yeah um so uh, i'm listening to the jtac and all that and then my my radio loses it's phil uh, and then we're running out of ammo and we we dumped a uh, ammo truck back at a checkpoint and so like where's the weather guy you know because i'm not it was a, a beautiful day so i didn't need to be like updating anybody on the weather <laughs> so they throw me in another humvee where's the weather uh, to go get the, the ammo truck so i jump in this other humvee and um we go back through the first ambush line and the the, the main weapon i think it was a 50 had been shot so they throw me a uh, a thumper so it's a 40 mic mic from like vietnam like from terminator 2 fucking M79. wooden stock yep yeah fucking that's one of my favorite guns how's that for old school yeah i love that shit it bucks um, and so we go back through the first ambush line and then I hop out and I jump in the, uh, the ammo truck and bring it back up to the, the, our line of Humvees up there and start handing out ammo. So, and then, um, I was stuck driving that truck and that had no doors, no armor, full of explosive and, and ammunition. So it was, it was a pretty good, um, uh, do you, do you know what yeah. the, what the circumstances were in terms of how, how they were ambushing you, how many people, what, what their kind of ammo was other than just fucking with you? I mean, if you if you can kind of walk us through almost like it's a fucking movie scene if you will of you pull up and, and you start taking rounds from x and then you know kind of that that scenario so you under, we all understand kind of what what you went through in, in that case yeah the um we we crossed over a river past the checkpoint and we're going down this this valley and on our our right side there were these really tall mountains on the left side it kind of played out into a valley so from our front and from our right per direction we were driving uh, we got jumped by, uh, they claim it was about 200 guys. And so we took in, we're taking small arms, PKM and RPGs. Um, so we, we kind of sat in that first position for a while, you know, the mad minute and everybody you know, dumps all their ammo and, and keeps shooting. Uh, then a bunch of the green berets, they dismounted. Um, they went and, and schwacked a bunch of people. And then I covered down on my vehicle. And then we moved up to the second point. So like there was a point where uh, there was like a bazaar up there in this like valley where they were moving things through. And so we move up to like the edge of that valley and then they hit us from another um, ambush point to the front of us. And then there's a bunch more A-10 a gun runs and all that stuff. And then I actually ended up being rear security for the convoy uh, at that point because one of the other vehicles, like we're getting uh, our, our main weapons shot up. So there's a bunch of 50s down and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm sitting in the back with my M4 just watching the back. And I remember at one point the whole, the whole vehicle kind of jumped, like something hit us. And I wasn't sure what it was, and I couldn't find it. And, I, and come to find out, when we got back to base uh, three days later, I looked behind me, and uh, someone tried to shoot me, I'm pretty sure, with a Dragunov, because it went right through that quarter-inch steel oh, the, from the upper armor Tom Vs, and it was right behind my head. God damn. Um, I'm kind of glad I didn't know at the time, because I was just like, what just hit us? But, yeah. you know, just keep doing your job. Fuck, man. That's intense shit. So after that, you, did you keep... Uh well, two things, I guess. What was the, the ultimate reason you guys were there in the first place? Like, what was the objective to begin with? And then two, did you ultimately meet meet that objective or did the ambush turn it into a, a long fucking gunfight and then you ended up going back? No, it was, it was about a six-hour gunfight, but we, we, we did our job. I think they were moving uh, supplies and personnel through that valley, uh, through the, the Yakdan Bazaar. So half the team stayed on one side after I'd, I'd come back with the resupply truck and, and distributed as much ammo as I could, you know, and we kept fighting. And then after the end of that, half the team was moving to the other side of the valley uh, to our Ron site. And this is the, the place where um, 
Uh, Adam Service had been killed and a bunch of other stuff had happened. It was a, it was a rough area. So my, my radio had lost its fill, the old embitters. So I had no crypto and I had no comms. And so I hop in my truck and I start driving across this valley with the guys that I'm, I'm assuming I'm supposed to be with. The truck in front of me turns around and goes back to the, the other half of the team. I can't communicate with anybody. So I'm just like, I'm just going to keep following the Humvee that's ahead of me. So I drive through this valley and we took some fire. And I think that's the only time I ever shot my M9 because I was just trying to keep someone's <laughs> head. You know, I had no doors. Yeah. And so, and I remember in, in some of the training, they, they talked about your femoral artery and how easy it is to bleed out from that in the, the space you have on the side of your body armor. Uh, you don't want to get hit in the side of the ribs and, and uh, tumble through your lungs and your heart and everything. So I'm slunched down and uh, slouched down in my chair trying to shoot my, my M4 out the left door. I'm trying to throw rounds out my right door. I'm not hitting anything. This is like gangbanger shit. It was, you got yeah. You fucking p- a pistol outside the doorless fucking vehicle. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but why isn't that on the Air Force brochure? I don't know. It should be. God damn it. That's when I cashed in all my mom's prayers in that moment. You know, everybody has that moment, I think, where, you know, you kind of look up, you're like, I don't want to die in this, this yeah. stupid valley. So, um, I know that my mom and God are tight. So I kind of cashed all those in to make it to the other side of the valley and, you know, squirters, and we stayed out there for a couple more days after that. And what uh, do you know? Well, a, I guess, did you guys lose any any guys? Um, and do you know what the what the count was on the other side, or or how did it how did it diffuse ultimately? We, I think, we killed most of them. Um, we had a, a chief lose his thumb, and it's pretty funny. This this guy was like a a, a life size GI Joe. You know, he's the chief warrant officer, so yeah. it is what it is. But he kicked in the door. Um, and one of the other guys tells a funny story. They were like behind a wall and, uh, this other green beret goes to call in, you know, uh, say where they're at, check in with the boss. And he turns around, the chief's gone. And all he hears is a bunch of shooting. And then uh, chief comes up on comms and screaming. And we're like, oh no, chief got hit. Uh, this other guy goes and finds him and, and finds chief shooting his, his pistol over another wall and his thumb is shot off. He kicked in a door and apparently there were like five Afghans in there and, you know, so he opens up, they open up and, and for anybody that's never um, been through like a shoot house or anything, your hands get chewed up because everybody focuses on the weapon. Uh, so he lost his thumb. He drew his, his, uh, his secondary and started shooting and then hopped behind this wall. Uh, but I think he got all those dudes. Uh, so that was our only casualty was a thumb. Um, and then uh, I think Intel told us uh, that they estimated 82 casualties on their side. Were most of those uh, via the, the gun runs on the, on the A-10 or... We, we, I mean, we had a fair number of uh, small arms. Yeah. Uh, so they were, the the Green Berets you were with were battling it out pretty hard, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah they're doing badass. good stuff. Um, so w- once that finally dissipated to the point where you guys could return, uh, you go back, and then what was the rest of that deployment like? The, the, it w- I mean, yeah, it was weird. A- after that, I think the team went out on another mission a few days later and, and got into a fight, but half of our artillery guys, we had 105s out there, had gone on leave. At the time, the, the army was sending people out for like 12 to 18 months. And so those guys got leave in the middle of their deployment, which was weird. And so they were like, hey, man, stay behind with the uh, the artillery and, and help those guys out. So I turned into an artillery bunny. Oh, sure. uh, like I told you, I'm like a tourist. I've kind of delved into a little <laughs> bit of everything. Yeah. And so they got into a fight uh, a couple miles away. And so I was able to throw some rounds down. And uh, they say we swacked like 10 dudes with the 105s. Uh, so I wasn't there, but it was kind of fun being on the, the other side of it. And yeah. And uh, those 105s are no fucking joke, right? Yeah, and those are uh, those are legit for sure. Um, all right, so I'm I'm curious in terms of what you know, getting into kind of the weeds of what you do, you know, from the weather standpoint on deployment. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't even realize that 
you know, special operations unit units employ weather, but also realizing, especially like if you go back to World War II, how big of a role, uh, you know, the the a the weather played, and b you know, lack of of the technology that we have now, and and you know, having forward operating uh, you know weather experts to to help dictate when to go and not to go, like how big of a fucking deal that is, and I, I think you know you joked a little bit about it. You know, initially, but but it is a big fucking deal. I mean, you know, weather was especially. I mean, if you go back to, you know, the days of of say the Spartans and, and things like that. I mean, like you're talking about major war campaigns being won and lost based based off of weather patterns and and shitty storms coming up that that were unexpected or you know certain swells and seas for Viking ships. I mean, you name it. Like it's it's still even with all the technology and. and today's day and age the weather is is still mother nature and still will trump every fucking thing we can do uh and, and i i think that it's important that, that uh you know the the listener understands how how big of a deal that is and how important your job is but if you could kind of walk us through what what that is the gear that you take um and, and what you do on deployment when you're when you're not the jack of all trades doing uh you know cleaning 240s and man and fucking artillery uh what what is that like so we bring our orchestrals out. So there's there's a few different sensors that we can set up. Um, so we had our, our 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 bigger sensor at the fob that I maintain, and then the the just like every sniper has a kestrel, right? Or, or probably a bunch of team guys have kestrels out there. Um, and and we just keep our eye on the weather and the patterns. And um, like one time, uh, for instance, the the team leader was like, "Hey, this is our mission tomorrow." And I was like, "Hey, just so you're tracking, we had huge rainstorms upriver." So where we usually cross is going to be pretty rough. And um, I remember him looking at me like, yeah, sure, dude. And we went and uh, we, we almost had a, a few of the uh, A&A trucks float away. And I remember he looked over at me after that and was like, okay, like you are tracking all this stuff. You're, you know, so it's not just the weather, but it's the effects after that, the trafficability and everything like that. And then getting into higher headquarters, obviously, so they can plan for future operations. Um, but I, I think people don't really understand, like we don't have all weather machines Um if you take a C-130, like our big cargo plane, that thing can fly through almost anything. But you take a little bird, that thing is is bouncing all over the place. So like the slightest variance in weather, and especially when you've got guys on the skids and everything like that, uh, it, it's incredibly important to get the, the, the data right, to get yeah. the observations right. So when you absolutely need to know what's happening on the ground and everybody's like, oh, we have satellites, we have all this other technology, there's no replacement for having someone on the ground telling you exactly what's happening. Um, on the micro scale and and how much of that i mean in terms of what you're interpreting i mean to me i I can see a parallel between say reading a dog and reading the weather now for you listeners that are like dude are you fucking really making that parallel yes i am and bear with me for a second is that you know so many times i see uh young handlers or pet dog owners or or just people that you know have a dog or, or are fairly inexperienced and i watch them handle the dog and and you can tell probably just like you can walk outside and you see a lot of fucking things that almost nobody else sees right is is it's in that same same kind of vein that way is that you know a dog is telling you a ton of shit that most people are completely fucking oblivious to that's why kids get bit and people can't communicate to their dogs because they just don't know what what the fucking dog is is saying to them basically through their actions and nuances of body language and things like that i'm assuming that it's similar with weather that way so like can you give us some examples of of you know like when you walk outside or like how you're interpreting things on the ground to be able to be an asset for some of these units right well like short term you can you can look at things pretty simply 
And the the problem is is if you see like a if you're in like southern Florida or Florida and you see a thunderstorm forming, determining the direction that that storm is going to move is is not complicated. But you need to understand that the the winds at ten thousand feet that's your steering for that thing. So you need to understand where to look uh, to determine where that that thing is going to go. And if you have dry air at that level, that means that thunderstorm has the potential to get out of control and drop hail and all that other kind of stuff. But in a, in a typical weather pattern, your your high clouds are going to come in first because they have the least resistance uh, and the highest winds up there. And then your middle clouds and then your low clouds are going to roll in, yeah. depending on the system. So um, you, you get some warning on, on a lot of these stuff in like a classical system. And then, you know, you go to a place like Afghanistan and you have all those microclimates and all those valleys and all that other crap. Uh, but you have like the red desert, you have your, your Asiatic high and all this other stuff. So just keeping an eye on it and understanding how the patterns work, you know, it's, it's, it's as much art as science, uh, to a certain extent, um, will give you a, a better understanding of what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 hours and, and how it's going to impact your operations. So I guess how many times were there, were advice or determinations that you gave based off of what you were observing and kind of predicting did did that actually change what the guys were going to do based on you're like hey this is i think this is going to happen or like did that happen often not weather is one of those things where it's not an impact until it's a big impact yeah um we went we went up on my second deployment we went up to the uh the pakistani border uh to do some stuff and then we got a follow-on mission and i told the guys hey if we go further north than this it's going to get hairy weather-wise uh, but if we're going where we're going like this location we're going to be fine uh, so our follow-on mission was to go further north, and I remember there was this uh, this uh, I think it was a Delta. He kept screaming at me because he was in the back of this Hilux, and it's like slushing on us. And he's yelling at me, and I'm like, <laughs> "I told you, bro, you just didn't listen after I yeah. told you that the first operation was going to be fine. But if we go further north, yeah. it's going to be bad. Like I have warmies with me, yeah. um, but he didn't bring his warmies, and he got <laughs> soaked and frozen to the bone. So. Travel light, freeze at night. Yeah, he's yeah. he's pretty upset. That's fucking awesome. Were there times where you kind of save the day so to speak where you're like hey we can't do this or we need to do you know or, or whatever and like it, it was instrumental having you there that, that really uh changed operations not really um so you're useless that's what you're saying basically <laughs> like, we, we went up to the place where you know no one had been um from western society since you know alexander the great is what they told us uh but i try to prepare my guys for the like the, the worst possible scenario and um yeah, it was cold and everything, and, and you, you make all your plans, and then you just keep checking in with higher headquarters, being like, no, weather's holding, this is good, any updates, no. Okay, so Xfil is still going to be on this day. Um, and and the further ahead you can get on these things, the, the easier it is, because you do all your work on the front end, and then, yeah, just roll out with the team, things should be good. And, uh, yeah. So, like with a lot of things, it's just, uh, you know, proper planning and preparation is what uh, you know keeps things from from you needing to to make any adjustments right i shouldn't have to make adjustments otherwise i failed yeah no it's good shit what um in terms of the gear that you bring you mentioned the kestrel are there other things that that like what what is a deployment loadout for you as it relates to just strictly weather i mean that that's it we have we have you know old satellite systems and and you can set up at the the larger bases you can set up sensors we have some small sensors that we can set up in different places um you know, my last deployment, we went out there to a, a place with some people uh, and, and <laughs> set up specific. Yeah, set up some sensors for some stuff. Um, but, you know, the, it, what, what I load out personally is just just my Kestrel, you know, and, and, and knowing what I'm doing and having, you know, all your cheat sheets and everything like that. Um, I mean, I can still draw a pretty accurate map of Afghanistan and tell you how the weather's going to impact everything. 
so most of it is just knowledge that you possess personally and internally that uh, that you're using and experience with being able to to read the the weather on the ground standing there huh right yeah that's wild shit uh, all right, so that first deployment to Afghanistan, very little training. You come back from that. Um, what what happened uh, b- between that and, and any subsequent deployments? Did you get more uh, kind of operator training? Right. So when I got back from that deployment, I had about a month before I went to the training I was supposed to go to <coughs> before I went on my first deployment. <laughs> and so that's when I went down to Florida for the end of the uh, combat control pipeline. We do all their, their exercises and everything with them. Is that Hurlburt? Yes. Yeah. It's the, the mecca for all things AFSOC. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went through that for, for a few months and that's where I met my wife and then right into another train up for my second rotation. And, um, yeah. So my second rotation, they sent me out to, uh, Naray and, uh, you know, as kind of like a, let's chill this dude out because his first deployment was probably a little rough for a guy that had almost no training. So yeah. they sent me to a pretty nice place. How, uh, how did, 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 uh, that contrast accordingly? I mean, was it pretty, pretty laid back or were there? Uh, a lot of things that you ended up doing there. And, and I got, I mean, to me, it, it seems a little counterintuitive. It's like now that the guy's got the training, we're going to send him to a place that's fucking less, <laughs> less hairy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, there, there were a few things that happened. Uh, I learned some good lessons on my second employment. So first off, I, I was much better at the weather stuff and understanding how it affected operations, my second deployment. So I think I was a little more useful and uh, we were out in the, uh, the Kona river Valley and so the Hindu Kush are like right there. And so there was a lot more uh, meteorological impacts on operations. Uh, but I, I, I did manage to get up to uh, Keating uh, for a little bit because uh, if you've seen the movie The Outpost, like that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Um, it was funny when we were watching the movie with my wife, uh, when the guys walk out after uh, they get there in the night and then the next day they walk out of their hooches and, and look around. I had the exact same uh, uh, experience. It's, oh, it was nuts, but they were running out of uh, supplies and everything. They're having a hard time getting helos up there. Uh, so I went up there and trained up some guys on, you know, basic things like, Hey man, when the clouds get to this point on the mountain, you yeah. need to call back so I can tell people what's happening. Now that's what this means. And so we're not sending helos up there that have to turn around and you guys are just hosed. Um, but that's where I learned also that if I'm around uh, conventional army guys, I should probably try to dress like them because uh, snipers like to you think I would have learned that after the first time on the side <laughs> truck, but I didn't. And so like, you know, you roll up there in like your t-shirt and your, your cool guy pants and your loadout. And, and what do you expect the snipers to do? They're going to yeah. try to shoot you. So uh, that was, that was a good lesson learned, but I managed to do that and a, a few other things, but, um, you know, I was just deployed with some good people, uh, uh, an air force, air force cross recipient, uh, later. And then, um, right as I was leaving the, the team went up. So my, my replacement was inbound. And so I stayed back, uh, which, kind of hurt my feelings a little bit uh, to, to you know meet my replacement when he got there. The team went up, and that's when uh, Robbie Miller uh, was killed, and he was given the Medal of Honor after that. But that kind of happened right at the end of my deployment. And you, you didn't partake on that mission, huh? I did not. I uh, I think the most I did was I, I cleared his weapon once we got him back. But um, what uh, Can you speak to the circumstances of how that, that happened? Um, a little bit. They went up to this place where we'd been trying to get up to for a long time. We'd had a lot of ops that were you know, turned down at the time. It was 2007 into 2008, and things were starting to get a little less cowboys and Indian-ish, at least from my perspective. And so we finally got this this mission to, to go. And, um, yeah, they, they went up into this valley, and they got ambushed by a whole whole bunch of people. The team leader uh, took a round in through the uh, right next to his shoulder down into his lung, but he survived. And then uh, a Robbie uh, was the uh, 249 gunner. 
and he was covering down on a lot of guys. Uh, I think rushed position, and he took a, a few rounds in uh, the through the side, through his ribs. So, um, but then uh, you know the combat controller that was out there laid a bunch of waste and, and did his job and yeah. got the rest of the guys back. Yeah, it's a fucking hairy, uh, hairy scenario for sure. Um, all right, so your replacement comes in. Uh, you bounce back. Uh, what what was the post deployment like there? Did you end up going through more schooling, uh, or what uh, what did that look like? That's when so that the that's when special operations weather became its own career field uh, to a certain extent. So that's when they were like, hey, we're going to set this up as you can come in off the streets to become special operations weather. So we need a training pipeline that looks a lot like um, our cohorts, the the combat controllers and the pararescue guys. So I went out to Keesler Air Force Base to uh, set up the pipeline. Um, and how, uh, I mean, did they take your, your kind of guidance on, on how to do that? Or was it a group of you guys or I, I was the first one to go and it was weird. I, I came from, you know how it is on team. Uh, so I, it's a really small community and I, I was used to, I had a reputation by this point, you know, like, it's not like I'm the greatest thing ever, but people would listen to what I said. And it was weird to go back to the, the air force training command and try to get myself back into that air yeah. force mentality. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a staff sergeant, I'm an E5 and I'm like, no, this is what we need to do. And people are like, whatever, man, you don't know what you're talking about. So, it, it, <laughs> you know, it, it took me a while to, to figure out how to how to get that done. Yeah. Um, but we got it done. Yeah. How how many of there of you are there uh, within the, the Air Force? Do you know? Less than 150. No shit. Mm-hmm. God damn, that's a small small group. Uh, and, and I'm assuming that uh, pretty much all of you are embedded in with uh, soft wide. Like, are there guys going with? With seals, with rangers, green berets. I mean, just all over the place, kind of as needed, or right. So wh- wherever, wherever the the it's going down, yeah. And they need the the particular skill set that we have. That's they, where we go. Whore you guys out to to whoever needs you, right? Um, I guess for the for the other crew of uh, the other hundred and forty nine or so um, special operations weather folks, like how how active are their deployments typically? Is it similar to the ones that you experienced? I think it's just like everybody else. Um, you know, like at the time in Afghanistan, if, if you were at uh, a couple different FOBs, you know, if you're at Anaconda, it's going to be rough. Yeah. Um, but you could go down to like Salerno and, and maybe go a whole deployment without shooting anybody or yeah. getting shot at. So, But typically, just like where they incorporate a lot of the dog teams, they're putting you guys in the areas where, where it's the heaviest, I'm assuming, right? Generally. Sometimes. Um, and also like with the way the weather patterns work, if you need to know data upstream, um, so uh, like the the western edge of Afghanistan, we need a body, and then we need another body, you know, further this way or wherever we have gaps in that that knowledge. And obviously, we're we're trying to plug the gaps where yeah, there's a lot of stuff going down. So it's kind of a mix. Yeah. Um, all right. So once you develop that pipeline, what does your career look like after you get that kind of where it needs to be and, and on step? Yeah, so I spent four years as a training cadre, and we stood up the pipeline. And um, I mean, as as an instructor, I think that's where you, at least I learned a lot about everything. Um, I, I I really, you know, like I went through the end of the combat control pipeline with those guys, and I didn't go through a selection course or any of that other stuff. And so my attitude was, I don't think I don't think I appreciated what they'd been through mm. as much, because yeah. I, mean, I could run with those guys, but they're at the end of the pipeline. But I hadn't been through the same crucible type events that they'd been through. Um, I was just an in-shape guy that, you know, w- w- was willing to keep going. Um, so after standing up the pipeline and learning a lot about myself and all that, I went back on team back in Florida and uh, I knocked out a few more deployments before coming back to the training side of the house again, uh, where I, I I don't know, I like it, but 
I'm, I'm kind of like the, the career field expert on training, I guess. Yeah. What What were the subsequent deployments after that you're talking about? So you glossed over so quick. Well, so so being a weather guy, there was you can go on Green Beret deployments or you can go with uh, the 160th SOAR. So for my my punishment or my reward, however you look at it, for for being gone for four years, was uh, I got two 160th deployments in a row, and those are not that sexy. You sit there and you all you do is weather for yeah. the 160th guys. But I will say, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look cool. But those were two of my hardest deployments, and I love those guys. Yeah. The 160th is my favorite organization in the DoD. Can you say where where they were where you were at with those guys? Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I, I was in Kandahar. Okay. Um, working with a lot of people all over the place because uh, I, I was just doing straight weather stuff. But, you know, you're working like 18-hour days. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those organizations where once your first time deployed with them, it's like, you know, like that first month they're trying to figure out if you know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And then once you're in the club, it's the greatest organization I've ever worked for. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, was your – because it was so weather-specific and less jack-of-all-trades – were you relying on more equipment being at, at a base like Kandahar? Like, did you have access to, to better technology to, to do your job? And what, and what does that look like? Well, especially working on that side of the fence, uh, there's like high side and then the, the next level of high side. Uh, some of the uh, technology we were able to utilize to, to get our forecast down was, was, was legit. Yeah. Um, so you, like I said, like with those little birds, they want to know exactly what's going to happen. And so we had the tools uh, to do that, but um, yeah. Is there any technology, if, if you can even talk about it, just out of my curiosity, uh, inside the birds weather-wise? Like, are they fairly capable in that regard? Or Not the, not the little birds. Yeah. Uh, those guys, are. there's no tech flying by the seat of their parents. Like, the 60s have a little bit of stuff. And then the 47s, um, there's a few times where the 47s were like, hey, man, here's what's happening. And if, if there's a target that they're going after that is, you know, they really, really want that target. And I tell them weather's crap. They're like, okay, well, is it going to be 800 meters of visibility or 700 meters of visibility? You know, like yeah. they're trying they're to nail it down. In, yeah. Right. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. No, yeah, the, the 160th guys, uh, every time we worked with them, I was always just fucking blown away by, by how good they are. I mean, I don't think you can overstate uh, that unit as a capability. They're, they're just beyond fucking world class. Uh, for those of you listening that have no idea what we're talking about, it's the... Special Operations Air Regiment. Uh, it's, it's basically all of the, the sexy helicopter work that you see that, that flies all of our Special Operations guys around, and they're like fucking Jedis and those things. They're guys that you know typically have <clears throat> twenty plus years of experience. You know they were enlisted before. You know in many cases, one of the guys I'm actually going to have on the show that was he was a SEAL for a while, and then and then went over and, and became a, a sixty pilot. Uh, in the TF-160. And, and so a lot of those guys, you know, as warrant officers that have, you know, time as an operator or, you know, being at least uh, close to those units to, to draw from when they're, when they're going in and out. And that's, that's pretty, 
uh, advantageous as you can imagine if you've got a pilot that knows what it's like to be in the back of the aircraft uh, doing what they do that just rounds out the the level of expert expertise to a level that's uh, it's hard to even wrap your your fucking mind around coupled with you know forty thousand hours of night vision flying and you know all over the world like they're just they're incredible but um in terms of uh you were you ever in positions where kind of you fucked it up where like you would forecast something or, or give them advice and it was wrong because you know i know chandler's sitting here thinking dude i watch the weather those guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about that's what i think half the time like how do you fuck that up it was supposed to rain today it didn't what the fuck like yeah how many times did that happen where you were the turd in the punch bowl fucking everything up no i'm, I'm pretty proud of my my weather uh, ability um as, as weird as that sounds i, I did strand some <laughs> that sounds like a good pickup line it's weird yeah, yeah. It, it really works that's why my wife married me yeah um i stranded some guys at a base one time because they were late and i didn't tell them that if they were going to be late there was a snowstorm moving in yeah and so uh i remember they called me and they were like bro what happened and i was like i told you guys were late and he's like well you could have told us that like if we were three minutes late we weren't going to make it yeah i was like yeah you're right so i, I jacked that up and then I ended up having to stay up for like 56 hours because I didn't go to bed until they got back. Is that something where you knew it would snow or just like you didn't even look at it because you figured they wouldn't be late? Yeah. I mean, you, you spend working for an organization like that. Like I'm trying my hardest to make sure I know everything that's happening. Yeah. So I knew it was coming in. But like I was looking at the timelines and these guys are are notorious for being on their time. Yeah. Um, so they're only three minutes late and got caught in the snowstorms. They, they were like 30 minutes late. Yeah. Um, but like they, you know, they were flying and they could see it moving in. And I was like, if you would have been on time, you, yeah. you know, but it, it was still my bad for not telling them. So, you know, that's one of those things that there's, there's a bunch of missions lined up. They need to get back to where they need to be. And so I just sat there uh, taking a call every 30 minutes. Is it clear? No. Is it clear? No. Yeah. Um, but for those guys, it wasn't, it was easy. Well, so that, that leads me to naturally think why, why do so many of the dipshits on the news get it wrong? Uh, so often the, i don't know I, they don't care is that what it is just fucking apathy well and, and they're forecasting for large areas and the way the civilians forecast for civilians is is much different you know like a 30 percent chance of rain means something like 30 percent of that area could see rain during this long period of time where i'm taking a small amount of time at certain flight levels for particular missions and telling them exactly what's going to happen during so, those times. So yours is ultra specific, whereas there's they're hyper specific, whereas theirs is kind of ultra generic. Right. All right. Well, that makes sense. Do you ever like watch the news and talk shit to the like the, the same way that like I would watch a fucking movie and, and critique tactics? Do you ever watch fucking oh, yeah. meteorologists and talk a bunch of shit? Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm a nerd. I'll, I'll look at my phone and uh, the, the tendency for all the, the weather models that are run by the computers is they're always trying to catch up or they're trying to forecast into a certain condition. Yeah. And so, my, my you know, everybody around me will be like, you're such a nerd. But like, you'll see if if, if something happens and the, the, the event was way worse or it didn't happen the way that it was supposed to, according to the computer, it will adjust and then over forecast that event next time. Huh. And unless you're you're tracking all these things. Um, you're going to be like, oh man, it's going to be like 32 degrees tomorrow. I'm like, it's not going to be 32. It's, yeah. it's five degrees off. Uh, hurricanes. We don't do hurricanes. You don't fuck with hurricanes. That's a specialty thing for uh, the NOAA folks. Yeah. Uh, so whenever, when I was regular weather, we were forecasting for uh, hurricane prone areas. And it was kind of nice because whenever there was a hurricane that was popped up heading towards land, 
we didn't have to do anything. Our, our forecasts were just given to us. Yeah. Uh, tornadoes, right? I'm from fucking Northern Iowa originally. The, the movie Twister was filmed like an hour from where I grew up. The movie was super accurate, by the way. Was it? No. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> here's me with the hook, line, and sinker. No shit. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, give me the fucking the dipshits version of how a, how a tornado works. It's, I mean, it's just the, or why the, it happens, how it happens, I guess. Yeah, it's just air at different levels moving in different directions. Um, so especially in, in that section of the, the country, you can have low level jets. So your low level uh, jet, if it's like at, at 5,000 or 3000 feet, and then you have your polar front jet or your main jet over the top and they're, they're like crossed. And then you, you have a bunch of other effects. Um, you're going to get that, that rotational, uh, thing going on. So in a nutshell, that's, <clears throat> and is, is the gist of, of size, intensity, whatever, dependent on how thorough those those directions are like how massive they are and how fast they are or, or how does that right so so typically they're they're associated with like a, a a cold front if i'm tracking if i remember this right it's been a while since i actually did weather um so so you have a lot of different dynamics you have cold air warm air and then you have your, your jets moving in different directions um so yeah the, the 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 stronger those jets are and the more they intersect um and the the, the more hot and cold air that's mixing together uh the worse it's going to be is there uh, anything that you can think of that, that man could do, and I'm sure there's not or there would be, but to disrupt that, like to, that you could drop into, like, you know, because you can fly above a tornado, right? And it's, and it's You can fly above a hurricane. Now, the, usually when you're having tornadoes, you're, you're having uh, cloud tops like that, that busted through the, the highest level where they usually get capped off at. So if you're looking at a, a, a thunderstorm, usually you see them hit the, the tropopause, and that's where you get those those clouds that shoot off, and that we call that the anvil. If you shoot through the tropopause, is when you're usually going to get your your severe weather, like your big hail and all that other stuff. Uh, so high cloud tops are typically associated with those types of storms, where hurricanes are pretty shallow. Is from a tornado standpoint, is, is there an average uh, height that, that they're at, or is it? I don't am know. I stumping you? Yeah. I mean, I could just pretend forty five thousand yeah. feet is so where the that. average height for the cloud tops. I mean, would it be that that high? They go way up. No shit. Yep. So basically anything, like if you're fucking around above that, it's going to fuck you up if you're in any type of aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those those up and down drafts are, are wicked bad. Yeah. Um, rock and roll. So you get you do two TF-160 deployments, super weather heavy. What what comes after that? Then I did a, a CRIF rotation. Um, what is that? The, the Crisis Response Force with the 7th Special Forces Group. So SOC South decided that they wanted the full uh, Air Force Special Tactics package. And so we'd never had a weather guy up there before. So because they had to send someone, they sent me. And so I went up there with them and, and did some good stuff and kind of set up that program, which since has been, they got rid of their CRIFs. So it was all for nothing-ish. But I learned a lot. I was with the uh, the Intel Fusion Cell. And um, we actually we actually nailed a forecast down in Belize and, and got guys out. Oh, uh, no shit. We only had like a 30-minute window to get the birds in there to get these guys out. Wow. Um, it was a training exercise, right? But they went black on water and food and everything. And uh, I remember the general walking up to me and being like, you sure this is the time that we can get these guys out? And that's the hardest part of being being a weather guy is because nothing is really for certain. Yeah. And you just have to like look at them and be like, yep. <laughs> sure as fuck is. Yep. And uh, so they bought it, and uh, but it worked out, huh? It worked out. Yeah. God damn. So what, uh, what did you do after that? And then I became a, uh, I went to the, the 23rd Special Tactics Squadron. So we used to all have our own squadron as uh, special operations weather guys. And then we integrated with the uh, the combat controllers and the pararescue guys, the two series units. 
Um, and then for my next rotation, um, I, I kind of delved into the combat control world a little bit, and I got a survey uh, cert so I could survey airfields overseas. And that course was a, a, a pain in the pain in the brain. Um, and then I was the team sergeant for that team, and then also I was the weather guy for that team. So I kind of wore three hats in my last rotation as we were kind of prepping for the uh, Syria invasion. Where where were you at? We staged out of uh, Kuwait. Oh, okay. And then we we were uh, um, a mobile force. Can you say where you went? Uh, um, we went a, a, a number of places. <laughs> well, you know, I, I went to Iraq. Um, and we went and, and did a survey up there. That actually linked up with a, a team of SEALs uh, to go up there. They were our, our security force. We needed to go survey a, an old base that had been overrun and looked like uh, the Walking Dead up there. We'd been gone from most of these places for about five years. Uh, so we humped, uh, jumped in some helicopters and, and picked up the SEALs and went out there and, and did some work. Um, and, and that was a good time. That was kind of from the very top. They, they asked us to do that. And then, uh, you know, some, some stuff in other places. Do you know... Uh ballpark what what year that or when when that was can you say 15 so the uh at that time then the syria stuff was pretty heavy we were it was a lot of the the air campaign in syria was heavy yeah Uh, the ground campaign was not and we were still um not putting too many boots on the ground even in iraq uh to get some of our equipment into iraq took um uh some ingenuity or some creativity i'll say uh because the the, there were just a lot of rules at the time (laughs) Um, but we were able to get uh, that mission accomplished. With uh, with that, excuse me while I dump this. Uh, by the way, just a real quick shout out to one of our sponsors. It's a new flavor, uh, Afterburner Orange, uh, and it's really goddamn good. So I'm pouring that into a fucking cup here. So bear with me. Um, w- when you were there, were there any things of note that you can talk about uh, gunfight-wise or getting into some hairy shit-wise, or was it all pretty benign? No, I mean, we weren't there to, to, to fight. We were there to set up, uh, make sure the airfields and everything were, were ready for the, the next uh, the push. Uh, so we set up weather sensors and we, we surveyed airfields. And, you know, it was cool. We did a lot of stuff in, like, civilian clothes and, and met some interesting people. Um, but our, our job wasn't to fight. In, in Iraq, I think someone said, you know, like, we, were, we actually embedded or, or some conventional Air Force guys uh, went on that survey mission with us. They thought we got shot at. I don't think we got shot at. They just wanted to say that we got shot at. You know what I mean? Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah no, I think I heard that. Yeah. That's fucking so. funny. Goddamn Air Force guys. I know. We're the worst. Uh, so after that, is that when you got into the uh, the SR stuff that you uh, are doing now or, or of fairly recent? Yep. Well, I came back to San Antonio. Uh, I worked as an instructor for a few things. We set up our own prep course, which mirrored in, in many ways the uh, NSW prep course. Uh, prior to the pipeline. And then I got a phone call, I think in uh, 2018 from my, my boy up at the Pentagon is like, Hey, we're not weather guys anymore. We're SR dudes. So really make it happen. So the whole fucking pipeline is now SR as opposed to SOW. Yep. No shit. So what, what kind of a transition does that entail then? I mean, is there a lot more SR specific training that in that pipeline or, or like, can you talk about that? Yeah. So for, the weather stuff that we kept was mostly observations because if you look doctrinally, we uh, we need weather observations as part of special reconnaissance. It's just part of the package. It's not you know specific to the Air Force. It's it's part of your planning process. Uh, but the rest of everything we we had to incorporate um, a lot of the reconnaissance uh, baseline reconnaissance uh, skill sets 
And then we're, we're getting into the SWAS, uh, the drones, and then the, um, the long range shooting, you know, formalizing all those things, which a lot of our guys on team had been doing for a long time anyway. Uh, but as we're, we're calling ourselves recce guys now, uh, we're, we're formalizing a lot of those processes. So like we, we have paperwork that says, Hey, this is what we do and how we train. We had to scrap the entire old one, build the entire new one, uh, build the new pipeline. Um, so it's a, a multi-year process and it's, uh, responsible for most of my gray hair, I think. Yeah. I don't see any of well, there's, there's some. You're not much younger than I am, right? I'm 38. Yeah. You, you look like you're about 20 years younger than I am. <laughs> that must be the Air Force fucking chow. The, uh, <clears throat> so with, with that, then it sounds like they're, they're taking the, the weather capability and essentially keeping that as, as part of what you do, but turning it into more of a, of a kind of a special operations type of fit where they're getting more juice out of the squeeze, so to speak. Is that accurate? Right. So we used to belong to weather and we don't belong to weather anymore. So now we're just getting after the, um, the line items that we need to get after. Um, we still work for the air force. So like people will ask me, what's the difference? Why do we need you guys? If we have force recon or the Rangers and all these other guys that go out there and do this reconnaissance stuff. So, well, we have a different area of focus and we're focusing on that, uh, future fight. Um, so the beyond like the, the, Baseline capabilities, reconnaissance capabilities, we're going to get into a lot of the uh, uh, technological stuff that we need to get into to compete with our, our near peers. I got you. And how much of that can you talk about, or is that pretty uh, pretty tight-lipped? I mean, a little bit. We, we talk about it on, on the you know my podcast. We, the the cyber stuff, the, uh, the ASOT stuff, um, you know, the signal stuff. You know, like when you're dealing with people that are at the same level or close to your level technologically – like that's where the money is made. Uh, so if we need to get air assets into a place, we need to know what we're dealing with. We need to know how to disable those those uh, you know anti aircraft capabilities, whether they're uh, kinetic or not, and, and then establish our airhead and move in from there. Yeah, um, I know that this isn't reflective of the Air Force from your perspective. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask? You're no, already cringing. Uh, I don't know. I'm scared. I shouldn't have prefaced it with this isn't part of the air. I mean, who, who country-wise, as an active-duty Air Force guy, kind of in the weeds with stuff like that, what what opposing country uh, scares you the most? China. Um, Ch- China's really good at, at taking tech and reverse engineering it or stealing tech. Um, so that they're making a lot of moves right now. You know, the Russians are pretty good at what they do. Um, there's some other countries that have a lot of money uh, that have tech, but China is just, they have a plan, you know? Well, it's a, it's like a long game plan too, right. you know, it's not, I mean, and that's just on that side. I mean, if you look at, you know, how many, how many businesses in this country they've bought over the last 20 years, you know, how much real estate, how much, uh, you know, logistics and supply uh, pieces of the American puzzle that, that they now own and control. And, and, you know, that's, fucking Sun Tzu step one is, you know, like if you choke off the fuck, the ability to, to resupply everything, power and water and food and, you know, like you don't even need to fight them, you know, um, yeah. it, it, it troubles me that, that so few people pay attention to, to stuff like that. But, uh, I, um, I, it sounds like, so this is kind of what you're doing now still, uh, in terms of, of your career, I would like to transition a little bit into kind of the, the the feeling the the morale the uh, the air if you will of of uh, you know the military at least as it relates to your perspective of it of, of kind of what the overall consensus and feeling is now uh, you know with uh, I guess I'm curious having been out now for a while um, you know what is 
what's what's the sense that you get? I guess uh, you know in terms of of what troop morale is collectively, uh, the way that you see it, uh, with you know Trump being out of office when he went was in office versus Biden getting elected. You know those types of things. What like what's your what's your pulse on that? I th- I think the the younger guys tend to to care more about these things than the older guys. You know, like I've I've been through a few different presidencies. And um, it, it's always weird trying to talk around it. And, and as soon as someone is sworn as the president as an active duty member, I'm like, I, you know, they're the boss. Uh, and no matter who's president, I've never said anything bad publicly about any of these people. Um, but well, well, go ahead and talk shit. Yeah, now. yeah, let's do it. Right? How many listeners do you have? Not much trouble. In my, no, um, nobody's listening. It's all right. But um, you know, we we're so mission focused on our side that it doesn't matter. And and soft. And if you're good at your job. You're, you're always going to have a mission. So I, most of my guys are, are pretty good, and um, I think we're just moving forward. You know, there, there's different things that, that change. Every time a, a new president, there's, like, more money, there's less money. Money gets moved from here to there. Um, and and there, it's a constant state of chaos uh, when it comes to everything because everybody's trying to get after that pie yeah. and get their mission accomplished. But What would you say the, the younger guys are, are feeling, then? What, what's their collective uh, I thought? guess. It depends on which side of the political fence that they sit on, you know. Is there one that's more prominent than the other, or is it pretty split? Um, I, in my opinion, yeah, I would say more guys uh, sit on the red side. Yeah. Um. So more guy, more of the younger guys are pissed right now. Then, in other words, I mean, I'm not doing surveys of the young yeah. guys. I mean, just. I'm for, trying to stay out of trouble here, Mike. You're trying to get me into trouble. I'm trying to drag politics. you right the fuck in. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, so it, it's fascinating for me, and, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners, um, because you're the first active duty guy that we've had on. I mean, I've had a lot of military guys on, uh, none that were currently serving. You know, and I know similarly, like when I came in, Clinton was fucking president. You yep. know, so I did an entire enlistment under Clinton, and then and then two full enlistments under under Bush, you know, and, and I got out as Obama was taking over. And so, but then I also, you know, I came back and was a trainer on the West Coast for the for the SEAL canine program a couple of years into Obama's first term, you know, and, and I was out there in, in 11 and 12, you know, after he'd been out in, in the, the stark contrast that I saw, and this isn't me, you know, taking a political side, this is just the reality of, of the, the morale and and, and supply and, and logistics and, and budgeting and, and funding and all that stuff was noticeably different. You know, uh, just plain and simple, the guys were not as happy. Um, you know, the, the gear and, and funding and good deal trips and, uh, you know, training uh, locations and all that stuff had been pared down noticeably, you know, because I, I was in a unique position to have seen it that way with, with Clinton. It was, it was fairly bare bones then. Um, Bush comes in, 9-11 happens, golden cruise box for eight years. is just like, fucking, you want money? yeah, Uncle, Uncle Sam and his blank fucking checkbook, you know, which spoiled everybody to a certain extent. And then Obama comes in, I, you know, step out for two years, I come back and it was just like, holy shit, you know, because I, I had the, if you want to call it a luxury or just the, the unique perspective of coming back to the spot that I was at, you know, so it wasn't like I was going to a, a different part of the country to a different base. I came back literally to the same fucking base I was on my entire career, just you know, two years after Obama had taken over, and, and it was noticeably different and, and not at all in any good ways. You know, that, that was you know, is that anecdotal because it's one perspective, one experience? Yes, uh, but you know, I can't imagine that that's the only fucking place that that was the case. Uh, and this isn't you know me trying to find a reason to talk shit about uh, Obama. It's just you know that that was what I noticed, you know, and I'm, I'm curious, I guess, 
it's not like it's any secret that traditionally uh, most liberal presidents uh, don't like funding the military the way that that most Republican presidents like funding the military. And so that that's a, a huge difference maker for uh, for our armed services. But um, in kind of that same vein, I'm curious, COVID wise, um, like it seems like there, there's a, a bit of a crossroads where you know, there's there's this virus and there's these recommendations that change like the weather uh, had to throw that in there. And, you know, but like how 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 much of it um, collectively is from from your perspective militarily? Um, do pe- are people like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? This is dumb as fuck. And they're just doing it anyway. Like, do people take it more serious? What does that look like? I mean, we, we get our marching orders. It, it, well, COVID, it, it's it's jacked up some stuff. But we made, uh, within our community, the, the decision was made, we're just going to keep training and we're going to get as much stuff done as we possibly can. Uh, so, you know, and it's gone through cycles, right? So every once in a while you're like, hey, I'm going to go up to, you know, TDY to this place. And they're like, well, the rules are this and the rules keep changing. And that's, I think that's the most frustrating part is like, if I go here and I come back, do I have to quarantine for 14 days? Like last week, no, this week, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think the military is just, we're just trying to keep up with the rules um, but we're still training everybody, and we're testing a, a ton of ton of people coming in. You know, we at Lackland we get people from all over the country. You know, every week a new shipment comes in, so uh, it's it's a little crazy. But you know, we're just pushing forward and and doing what we can with what we've got. So it's, it's more reactive to. I mean, are you guys following CDC guidelines, or does DOD have their own shit, or do you even know? Right. Well, I mean, I think CDC comes out with their thing, and we we try to follow that as best we can. But you know, the the, the chains of command are, are weird right now when yeah. it comes to that. But so you know, when it comes down to our level as the uh, the enlisted folks, it's just like march off and do. Yeah. Amen. Uh, you mentioned Lackland, uh, which is also where the military working dog uh, unit is at. Do you? Other than just seeing them around, like, do you have any involvement with them whatsoever? No, they get really mad, though, when we, uh, we're running and rucking students through their area. <laughs> Firing all the dogs up? Yeah. Getting them all spun the fuck up? Yeah, I can imagine. I did um, my first duty station. I went to Shaw Air Force Base when I was a regular weather guy, and we got a tour of the base, and I was able to get in the bite suit and do the, uh, they call it the bravery test, where they got uh, one of the dogs all riled up, you know, and he's like 20 yards away from me. And the the test is whether or not you flinch before he grabs your arm. Yeah. And I'll never forget, you know, first they're like, hey, when he pulls you down, tuck your neck into the suit in case he loses control and goes for your neck. I'm like, that's not the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, but I'll never forget that pressure, even through that suit that that dog put on my wrist. It was yeah. it was insane. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's one thing I've mentioned it a few times. I won't beat the dead horse. But it, yeah, for sure. It's um, until you've experienced it, it's it's hard to describe it to somebody uh, and, and convey it accurately enough for them to truly understand how capable those fucking dogs are. And I, I always laugh when, you know, people are like, well, I'll just, I'll give them this arm and then I'll fucking jam my hand down their throat or whatever. And it's like, you know, that that's akin to saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a cordless fucking 18 volt power drill with a, with a wood bit on it yeah. and, and put it on full fucking spin and I'm going to grab it and stop it. Like that, that that's what you're going to do to your fucking hand. You know, like it, right. it doesn't work that way, but um, it's neat that you got to experience that. Um, all right. So now as, as you're kind of closing out your military career, what, what, what for you now, I know you're the, the host of the podcast. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, but what kind of, what is your plan 
short term ultimately getting out like are you planning on getting out right at 20 or what uh, what are your what are you gonna what are you doing i'm gonna i'm gonna end up just over 20 right now the plan is um you have to wear your rank for three years before you get out so i just barely ranked up so i'm where gonna, are you at now rank wise eight e8 yep god damn fucking senior chief in the navy yep what do you call that in the air force senior master sergeant is that right that's mm-hmm. a lot it's too many words it's a lot like, it's it, weird. Can, can it just be senior or master senior master seems redundant i think People call you senior. I'm so not what, sure that you're allowed to call people senior anymore, though. But so what? Uh, what is an E9 called then? Chief Master Sergeant. Sergeant, right? So sergeant. Yeah. All Excuse right. me. I've been in for a while. Yeah. No. I, hey, that's how they all say it. I don't say it that way because there aren't any sergeants in the fucking in the Navy. But yeah. Um. So senior, senior Master Sergeant, and then Chief Master Sergeant. Right. Yeah. Just does that not seem redundant? Am I an asshole? That's uh, that's the way they do it. I don't know. I'm just what? I'm just looking for the E eight pay and getting out in three yeah. years, and then um, I, I think with the ones ready thing. So we started ones ready to uh, uh, kind of get the word uh, and uh, motivate guys out there that are thinking about Air Force Special Warfare, or at least let them know that it exists because we're super small compared to the other uh, sister service guys, uh, but we have a, a, a pretty unique mission sets uh, skill sets, and so uh, one day Brian called me and was like, "You want to do this thing?" And I was like, yeah. And he got Jared and Aaron involved. So we got two pararescue guys, a combat controller, and myself. And uh, we just go on there. We, we can't get paid because we're still active duty. That's bullshit. So we, 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 we've dumped a lot of our own personal resources and time into this thing. Um, so I think once I retire, I want to get, I want to replace myself with somebody else and kind of create a, a path to entrepreneurship uh, through the, the company. Um, so I don't want to be that guy like five years after I'm out still talking about the training pipeline. Like yeah. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to get, you know, gift a piece of the company to a, my, my replacement and then, you know, get out there and see what else there is in the world. Yeah. What, uh, in terms of the, the numbers, is it still right at 150 of, of how many of, of you there are in terms of. Yeah. We're less, less than that. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying to get people in the door, the right people, the qualified people. And then, um, yeah, I mean, combat control is and that's in the mid hundreds. And, and you know, there's a few there's a few pararescue guys out there, and then TACP is pretty big. Are there are there are pararescues at the highest number wise of of all of Air Force Special Operations? So we call it Special Warfare now because it's it's weird. It's we're not like a Green Beret team or a SEAL team where we're all homogenous. Um, so we, we're all very separate. So TACPs are most of their job is on the conventional side, but they do have soft guys uh, down at you know working with people. Uh, and then pararescue is the same way. They have a conventional mission and a soft mission where combat control and SR are uh, special operations only. Okay. So we came up with this kind of blanket term for all these things that are fairly similar in training called uh, Air Force Special Warfare. We didn't steal it from the Navy. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, so th- that's what it is. But TACPs are, have the most people and then pararescue, combat control, and then SR. Okay. There's got to be some shit talking of who who's the baddest of, you know, is, is there one crew that's kind of regarded as like the, the fucking big dicks of the, well, of the crew or what? Paris, so TACPs, there's more of them, but because they have so much stuff on the conventional side, that's what we, we jab at them for. And they don't do as much swimming. So we tell them they're afraid of the water. Yeah. Uh, pararescue, you know, they're, they're cool, but they, you know, you, you have talk this, shit. you have this hero complex. Like you're going to go yeah. save people. I've never had my life saved by a pararescue man, but I have had a JTAC. I'm pretty sure saved my life on multiple occasions. So yeah. I lean more towards the combat control side. And when you look at the, the high level medals, I think uh, combat control guys kind of strut around, yeah. you know, because 
Training pipeline-wise, um, pararescue is probably the most notorious for it being the toughest training, would you say? Or Yes, uh, traditionally. So now, But we've taken all of our pipelines and, and made them the same in the beginning cool. before we, we branch out into our specialties. So, so everybody goes through the same fucking that's that's a fucking good good way to do it I, I can only imagine that that garners a little more respect collectively too right where right. it's like everybody's been through the same shit so i'm sure there's still plenty of shit talking but uh less of it's warranted at least at this point yeah but i mean one of the reasons i care so much about training and these kinds of things is because i am that guy that i was in you know i was in special operations but i wasn't i wasn't high you know vetted i i I went through airborne and sear and then I showed up at Bragg. Yeah. And so I didn't feel comfortable really wearing my beret until after my first rotation. And even then it's like, but you know, it's just a weird thing. So it's good for me to see. And I'm, I'm super passionate about the training side of the house to, to make sure everybody goes through that process, has the training and equipment that they need yeah. uh, before they get themselves in those hairy situations. So yeah. right, do all, do all, is it considered AFSOC or, or is it, or do you consider it air, uh, air force special warfare now? So, AFSOC is just our, our SOCOM component. So all combat control and SR are under AFSOC. But like when we talk collectively, it's Air Force Special Warfare. It's kind of weird. So do all Air Force Special Warfare operators uh, wear a gray beret? No. So the, the PJs, uh, pararescue wears maroon. Combat control is scarlet. We're gray and TACPs are black. What the fuck is the difference between maroon and scarlet? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maroon at scarlet's just like bright red. So you can see a combat controller from like three clicks away. That's ironic. Yeah, or maybe not. They but, they stand out there and it's blood red. They're, they're, <laughs> all right, so they're scarlet. PJs are maroon. You guys are gray, right? And who's black? The tack piece. Tack piece. I got it. It's a lot. A lot of shit that I'm learning. Even though I've worked with uh, primarily CCT guys, is the is the gist. We had a, a really fucking good CCT guy with us um, on on uh, Iraq deployment. That was he was fucking awesome uh, for sure. Uh, saved our ass. Uh, yeah, it was it was amazing having him there. He's fucking super good. But um, remember the name? Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm trying to think. We didn't call him by his name. We um, <laughs> it was some cheese dick fucking nickname that we gave him, um, and I don't remember it. I will say he had the uh, the no shit like it was like you pulled him out of a, an 80s recruiting video like he had that mustache oh nice um and and hair like just the whole look like he had that that cheesy 80s fucking um you know military recruiting poster fucking look but uh great fucking dude i wish i remembered his goddamn name um chandler tell me do you do you have a fucking weather question for our guest nothing oh man well we're midwest guys so we know tornadoes um I don't think is there really any other place in the world that. I mean, shit, we get tornadoes down here all yeah, the, all yeah. the time, yeah. But I mean, outside, this is still considered the alley. So, what are some like intense, or is there are there any specialized intense weather uh, scenarios that are obviously that we don't experience here? Um, dust events. You know, I think everybody's seen the movies. That you know, what is that? It's the big old haboob. It's it's dust. So, uh, in Afghanistan, it's a pain because you'll get that system come down from the west, the west edge, go through the red desert and push all that dust up through those those valleys uh, to the east. And then once that dust is sitting there, like it's so fine, you'll have valleys that have zero visibility for, for days or weeks and it just sits there. So dust is a huge concern. I know in Iraq it's a huge concern, um, but those are the big ones um, that, that, that I've experienced, you know, besides just like the, the thunderstorms and, and, and rain and snow and all that other stuff. 
That's a, that's a great question. Appreciate the answer. One thing that makes me think of, uh, you mentioned west to east. Do weather systems and patterns typically go from one direction to the next in, in most areas, or is it kind of fucking just depends? Yeah, I mean, typically, um, the, the, the polar front jet in the northern hemisphere goes that direction. Uh, so when you learn about it in weather school, we, we, we take your, your classic coming off the Rockies, low forms and you know, sweeps across the, the country so I, I guess here as an example like do most systems move from one direction to to the next or can they come from everywhere and, and do percentage wise kind of from all over yeah well f- here your, your major systems are going to come from the west uh, but once you get down to the south uh <clears throat> southern united states area you'll have this this thing where the the fronts kind of die out they lose energy as the cold air pushes down and then you'll you'll get this this north to south waffling of this barrier and so that's when you'll get like your you'll be like oh it's just like raining for two weeks and then you'll get like thunderstorm type activity and then it'll clear out and then it'll just keep going until that thing completely goes away and that air kind of comes together and becomes one air mass yeah that's some fascinating yeah no for sure do do you have any desire to be uh like a fucking celebrity uh meteorologist on tv or what no nothing no i think there's a fucking career there for you You had another one i've had enough jokes about (laughs) weather.com to last me the rest of my life no such thing chandler what what else you got uh what what are some uh like major attributes to look out for uh if there's a like if there's an ever-looming golden shower that's approaching the golden shower. Now, by golden shower, what are we talking about? Did, did we just transfer over into a totally different podcast? No. I, Do you know what golden shower is? Yeah. You tell me what you think a golden shower is. I mean, I've never experienced one. That's why I'm asking the professionals. I am not a professional <laughs> on that subject. <laughs> Zach, anything? Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Nope. Nope. Yeah, you're, don't a, know you're millennial. You still don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you have a question, Zach? Is there, is there a question that you've always wanted to ask? A weatherman that now you have the opportunity. You know, I wish I did, but I don't. I'd want to know more about your service, but you kind of covered it. I, I got a lot of good stuff over here. How did you listen to this entire thing and not come up with one goddamn question? I'm taking a lot of notes over here, Mike. I got yeah. a lot going on. You wouldn't believe it. Let's get off Pornhub. <laughs> all right. We're trying to wrap the show up. All right. All right. All right. Um, all right so in, in terms of you're going to have somebody replace you uh, or you're looking to have somebody replace you and then venture off anything that, that you have ideas wise of what you, what you want to do uh, when you grow up. I mean, we, we kind of started this whole media thing with ones ready. Um, so, I mean, I would love to go out there and like review shooting schools and sit down with the owners and, and try to, you know, help out all those people out. And then um, I don't know, maybe find something to make or, or whatever, but I'm just, where I tend to fit is is pumping other people up, you know, or training. I love training. Um, you learn so much about yourself as a person when you have that that almost godlike control over another human being, and um, and it's a weird thing. So, I, and I like getting into people's brains and trying to unlock their potential. Uh, so I'll probably do something with training and then and then see what else ones ready has for me or or any branch off LLCs from there. Yeah, awesome. Well, so the podcast, as you probably ascertained, is called One's Ready. Check it out. I'm assuming it's on uh, all the, it the usual suspects. Uh, so check that out. Um, you know, to me, it's a fascinating world that so few people know about, uh, myself included. Um, you know, so I, I learned a lot today, and, and uh, I have no doubt the listener did. And, and again, I want to kind of reiterate, um, you know, how how unique and, and elite of a group you guys are, but also how legitimately important it is. You know, I, all jokes aside, it's it's fun to to fuck with the weatherman, so to speak. But uh, but it's important shit. Before we close out here, I do want to uh, mention and show to the uh, 
to the audience if you're watching on YouTube is he brought a, a coin. And if uh, I'm going to hold that up. So if you, if you could explain uh, explain the coin where where it came from as much as you can, I know some of it uh, details you can't, but yeah. So it's the the back end of a thirty millimeter shell uh, from an AC one thirty, and when we were staging out of Kuwait, we were kind of co located with the AC one thirty folks, and we we helped them out with some stuff, and they helped us out with some stuff, and then uh, this is from a a, uh, a flight they took into to Syria to support some people doing some really cool stuff. Uh, so you know we got to see the video, and and they they gave us all these coins because we were kind of had this. You know, we didn't actually work together, but you know how it is. You get overseas and, uh, hey, is there anything we can do? And uh, they were really cool about it. So they gave us all one of those coins. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that tries to hold on to everything. You know, I give books away and all that other stuff. So I thought that was uh, fairly unique and you could put it on your thing. I can very comfortably say that this is the the coolest and most unique coin anybody's ever given me. And one that uh, for a thousand fucking percent sure I will uh, cherish and, and hold dear uh, my whole fucking life. This is awesome to to know that this is the the back of a thirty millimeter that smokes somebody's ass in fucking Syria is uh, is beyond priceless. And I can't thank you enough for bringing it. That's yeah. a that's a cool fucking story, man. I no love worries. it. Um, all right. So last but certainly not least, I want to again thank you for coming. Thanks for uh, driving all the way up and spending the time. I know being on active duty, it's especially right now, it's not. Not easy to uh, uh, to get off base and, and travel outside of uh, your your op area. So I appreciate you taking the time. I'd like to take a quick second uh, to shout out and thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Origin Labs and Jocko Fuel. Jocko Fuel is a great product. Uh, he's got a ton of products actually within the Jocko Fuel line. Uh, the guests and I enjoy them on the show. And outside, I take a lot of the supplements. Uh, I've got some of the Origin Lab jeans, uh, boots, geese. And uh, it's just an all-around American industry. Uh, they do a fantastic job really re-revolutionizing American industry from start to finish. It's all American-made, uh, all American-sourced. Everything start to finish is made right there in-house. And they really do a phenomenal job creating the products and fulfilling the whole ball of wax. They've been a huge supporter of the Mic Drop podcast for a while now. And I really can't thank Jocko Fuel and Origin Labs enough for the job that they do for us. And so thank you to you guys. I'd like to take a second to uh, shout out our newest sponsor, which is Project Warpath. This is a Navy SEAL-owned company uh, that provides apparel with a pretty edgy uh, feel, and uh, it's a good friend of mine that, uh, that runs it out of California, uh, and just an overall a great outfit. Um, they've got a, a whole line of different shirts, uh, one of which uh, is, is arguably, arguably my favorite, which is Epstein Didn't Kill Himself. wonder where that one came from. And uh, But yeah, there's Hillary Clinton Killed My Friends, uh, there's a bunch of uh, pretty edgy and cool patriotic sayings on T-shirts with uh, with good design, good high quality, uh, and it's one that uh, that I'm actually wearing right now. So uh, I appreciate uh, them sponsoring the show again. That's Project Warpath. Uh, you can get all their stuff online, and uh, and you know the shipping and customer service is top notch, quality product, and uh, you're supporting a veteran-owned business. So shout out to Project Warpath. Go check their uh, stuff out. I'd also like to say thank you to our other sponsor, Resilience Premium CBD. Resilience is excited to offer all Mic Drop listeners a 20% off discount on all products for two weeks from when this podcast is live using the discount code MICDROP at checkout. That's two words, MICDROP at checkout. I'd also like to say that Resilience is a great company uh, that works in conjunction with Trico CBD. And all military veterans and first responders receive 35% off. Yes, that's 35% off for all military veterans and first responders. 
and that's uh, through the military and first responders program. You just have to sign up at resiliencecbd.com slash military first responders discount. Uh, in terms of about resilience, generally speaking, it's a premium CBD that I use. Again, it works in conjunction with the Tricos brand for the everyday athlete. Uh, that's www.resiliencecbd.com. And resilience was uh, really born with the founders who uh, are military veterans as well. Personally experienced the effects and impact that CBD had on their own mental and physical obstacles. Their focus was sharper, mental stress was calmed, fitness stamina increased, and their bodies felt less pain, inflammation after super intense workouts. Uh, a lot of times most people and, and people are able to either wean and off entirely or significantly reduce pain management, ther uh, pain management therapy. This is a shared vision among the founders that this uh, incredible supplement had not only changed their lives, but had the power to provide unbelievable benefits to family, friends, athletes, fellow veterans, and ultimately the entire fitness community. So big shout out to Resilience for their product as well as the Trico stuff. Uh, we sure appreciate their support. <clears throat> to you, the listener, again, uh, one quick thing is I've had I don't know how many messages saying, dude, it's been over a month. Like, are you putting shit on pause? What's going on? Why haven't you released stuff? Um, you know, for me, it's there's two things. One, it's it's quality over quantity. I could put a show out fucking twice a week. Um, to me, like I'm at a point where I've done enough of them to where, you know, I don't want to just continue to have the same types of guests on all the time where, where it's just the exact same stuff. Uh, but also, uh, I, I think further and more importantly is that, you know, this isn't what I do for a living either. Uh, yes, it's a component of what I do, but this isn't how I, I pay bills and keep the lights on and and everything else. This is something that, that I enjoy doing. Uh, I love the the positive feedback and the and the huge following that it's that it's turned into. Uh, but it's not a nationally syndicated show where uh, you know where where this is what I do for a living and I have a booking agent and all, all this other shit going on and, and this is my primary gig. My primary gig is dogs still and, and will be for a while, both in the physical form and in products and training and in the online training, you name it, teamdog.pet. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's what I do for a living. So there are times, uh, in the last couple months has, has been no exception, uh, where I get really fucking busy with what I do for a living that, uh, that actually puts food on the table for my family. Uh, and that's what I've been doing. So, uh, in essence, suck it. And, uh, but you know, we, we will get uh, a couple of, a couple of episodes out this month. So you can, uh, you can bet your sweet ass that the, there'll be more coming. So, uh, life happens. Uh, that's the deal. Thanks for playing. Go choke yourself. And until next time, this is Mike Drop. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. 
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.